0: If you haven't been here for the last two weeks, this little um, thing here, which is really cool, is sort of symbolic of our life, just maxed out, just filled up with stuff. And today, you know, we're we're talking about maxed, or uh, uh, in this case, it would be insane if not artificial if we didn't talk about saying no to a few things. Um, Nope, we're calling it, or the power of no. And what I'm going to talk about today is how we got to take some of these things and say no to them out of our life to save room. I, I, this is, serves us two purposes. One, if somebody's going to sleep, um, I can just do that to them, you know. And so um, stay awake because <laughs> we need to take some more things out of there. Um, uh, but, but what I want to talk about is, is the power of no, or in our case, we're just t- calling it nope. And when, we first, when I first realized this was going to be my, my topic, I thought to myself, you know, this is terrific. I'm great at this. Um, I've got I've got so many creative ways of saying no. I mean, for instance, the other day, Charlene says to me, um, could you take out the trash? <laughs> Charlene's my wife, for those of you who don't know me. And um, I said, honey, um, I would love to take out the trash, but I'm working on my sermon. I mean, what can she say to that? I'm working on my message. And, and, then, and, then, and then another time she says to me, Hey, hey, can you take, can you pick up your dirty clothes? And she said it like, like that. Can you pick up your dirty clothes very nicely? I don't know what it is about women and and, and wanting us to pick up dirty clothes. I mean, you know, that's just not what we were made to do. Anyway, um, she said, can you pick up your dirty clothes? And I said, you know, I'd love to do that, but I can't right now. I'm in prayer. <laughs> and then, And then a few days ago, I was leaving the office. She called me. And she says, are you on your way home? I said, yeah, I am. She said, look, i got to go somewhere and do this and do this and do this. When you get home, could you help out and, and just empty the dishwasher? I hate emptying the dishwasher, i got to tell you. I said, you know, honey, I'd love to do that, but, but I have somebody waiting on me at the club on number one. They want to play a little golf, and they want to talk about Jesus. And if I don't go, they may go to hell. <laughs> Well, as good and as creative as those, uh, those things are, that's not the kind of no we're talking about, all right? You probably know that already, right? Um, we're talking about saying no to important things in order that we can say yes to the most important things. There's a, there's a fine tension there, and I'm going to be real blunt with you. I'm not the best one to give this message. Because uh, if you're talking about looking at somebody who has, who has put this into their life and who's got it right and got it down all the time, I'm not the guy. I have a hard time saying no, particularly if I think it's important. And, um, and, and, and sometimes you need to. And that, that's really the, the, the whole thing of what we're talking about here today. And I want to take you, and I'm just keeping it real. I'm just keeping it real. And, and so we're kind of on this journey together. And uh, we want to really understand the power of no the importance of saying no to important things in order to say yes to the most important things. I want to take you to a passage in the Bible in the in the early church, and there's a lot going on, and we see a perfect example of that there. Before I take you, that's going to be in, in another chapter. I want to take you to Acts chapter 2 first, because this is where the church has just taken off, the early church, and it's just getting gone. And there's one thing that most everybody, I mean, it's growing and it's growing by, day, by, by hundreds, by thousands every day of people coming to faith in Christ and being a part of the church. But one thing they all have in common is they're all poor for the most part at that time in that particular part of the world. We're really in almost all the world at that time unless you were, uh, in, you know, in the Roman guard or something. Um, and so here's, you've seen this before probably if you were here last fall at least, because uh, uh, Chris dealt with this uh, a few times. But in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Watch this. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need immediately my friends to the left would say, and I have a lot of friends to the left, and I love them dearly, they would say, see right there, the Bible teaches socialism or some form of it. And you need to understand, you can be a socialistic type person, you can be a capitalistic type person, the Bible doesn't teach socialism there, because socialism is mandated by the government. This is people giving out of their hearts. They don't have big Brother saying, you've got to take from here and give, yeah, take from the rich and give to the poor. He's not saying that, he's saying, those who had a little bit extra, just had the heart to give it to somebody who did who had less. That's much more organic, much more authentic than 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 the Roman government at that time or any government coming down and saying, you know, we got to we got to take you know you got to give you got to. Here they're saying, hey, we want to. That's what they're doing. So you have this. That's the culture here in the church. They're wanting to help the poor because they're all poor. They are want to help the, those who are more poor than they are. And that's, that's, that's going a long ways in some cases. So keep that in mind when we come a little later on in the life of the church. We come down to life, uh, to, uh, to Acts chapter 6, just a short time later. Things are really happening in the church. Look what happens here then. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, among them, complained against the Hebraic Jews Because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. we got a problem here. We have widows, and it is a very good and important thing to make sure we feed the widows. At this particular time, you don't have Social Security, obviously. You don't have a lot of other programs. And if they don't take care of them, they don't get taken care of. I don't think I probably need to tell you, women were not the most highly valued people in the the world at that time. They were still um, second. I mean, they were... Not highly valued, let me just say it that way. it was wrong, but it 's how it was um, so they they can 't take care of themselves you don 't have working you don 't have a single mom working that 's just unheard of at this point in time, so the church has to take care of them, and they should and it 's important so this this conflict has arisen there's, a, this is, there's some different languages going on here there 's some different cultures going on here, so there 's a lot of stuff that 's going on here but but at the bottom line is they 're saying. Some of these widows aren't getting taken care of, and, then they're, and they're bringing that up as an issue. So verse 2, So the twelve apostles gathered all the disciples together, and they said it would not... Now watch what happens here. This is really important. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. They do not say it's not important. They didn't say it shouldn't be done. But keep in mind, the apostles are the only one at this time in the church who can really teach and preach. They're the only ones. So they're saying this is really more important because it's for all the people, whereas the widows are just a few of the people, but we've got to take care of the widows. That's important. What do they do? They gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of spirit, full of the Spirit and wisdom, we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give attention, our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. That proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmias, two good Greek boys there, and Nicholas from Antioch, from a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. You see what's happening here? The apostles are saying no to something very important in order to say yes to something even more important. It doesn't mean that the widows' needs were not important. It doesn't mean that that was that they were not they were not willing to do lesser task. It doesn't mean that. It's a matter of time. Okay. Um, it doesn't mean that they never served in that capacity because they did and. Uh, but at this point in time, I want to repeat, they were the only ones in the church who could serve, the, the apostles were, in the, in the way of teaching and preaching of, of the truth. It was the highest and best use of their time, and it was, it was about saying no to something important in order to say yes to something even more important. I have a living, breathing example of this. A friend of mine, big-time volunteer at her kids' school, she did everything. I mean, she was like, you know, wherever it is, PTA or PTO or whatever, leader of that and fundraiser for the class. You know, whatever you're talking about, schools, that's important stuff. I don't care what capacity. I don't care what school. That's important stuff in my, in my view because we've we, we got to have good schools. She was doing that and uh, what? Uh, fundraiser and, and you know, PTA or PTA, or whatever they call it, and, and uh, you know, cookie baker and popcorn maker and vomit cleaner up or the whole thing. I mean, all that stuff. I don't know about that. But I mean, just doing a lot of that kind of stuff. They started, she and her husband and family started coming to Renaissance, and it hit her one day. I'm so busy. My, 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 I got so many things going on here, filled up. I don't have time to do the most important thing in my life at this point in time, which is to get into a situation where I can grow in my faith and help others grow in their faith in Jesus. So she she started saying no to some really important things. School, pretty important, in order to say yes to something even more important. Developing her faith and helping others developing their faith. So here's what she said to me. I had to say no to some really good causes and efforts so I could say yes to pursuing the most important thing in my life, my own spiritual journeys, and others that I could help along the way. I decided to say no to something good in order to say yes to the most important thing. That's what it comes down to, folks. I'm going to read a quote to you that really just has everything to do with this. And I'm not going to tell you who it is at first. If you if you if you can guess it, I'm going to add, I'll, let, I'll just I'll let you. I won't throw a ping pong ball at you if you can guess who it is. Okay. Um, and it comes from saying no to a thousand things to make sure we don't get on the wrong track or try to do too much. We're always thinking about new markets that we could enter, but it's only by saying no that you can concentrate on the things that are really important. Is that good? You know who said that? Give you a hint. Stephen Jobs. Um, Stephen Jobs said that. And I think it typifies that's true in business. That's true in your personal life. You only have so much space. You know? You only have so much space. Somebody's, um, somebody's dozing off. I'm watching. Um, you only have so much space in here, okay? And, and you can only put so many things in until you start to pull things out. Everybody's, everybody's tensed up now. Uh, <laughs> there's only so much room in here before I have to start pulling stuff out so you can say yes to things that are more important. Um, can I tell you a secret, though? Sometimes it's not... Let me say this carefully. Sometimes it doesn't seem like a choice. Sometimes it doesn't seem to me like it's a choice because something comes up. Something like... How about this term? I didn't originate it. A guy originated this by the name of Charles Hummel in 1967. It was a great year. I was a junior in high school. It was a great year. Um, he, he, he invented this term, or he originated this term, tyranny of the urgent. Sometimes it doesn't seem like it's a choice. It really is. But it doesn't seem like it because the tyranny of the urgent Takes over. Let me read this to you. By the way, I have this on the blog, uh, renaissancechurch dot the blog. The whole article is there. It's, it'll take you ten minutes to read it. I, it. It's really a good article. You'll get a kick out of it because it's dated. And you're, I'm going to read you a part of that right now. Um, it's dated 1967, and 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 his his contention was that the telephone was uh, like one of the number one causes. Of distraction in the home and keeps you keeps you from having the tyranny of the urgent takeover. And you know what? In a way, he was right, because it is the telephone, and it's not just the telephone; it's the texts and it's the emails and all the other kinds of stuff. You ever have that happen? Am I the only guy here that when you go, to, you, you think, "Okay, I got to I got to find out something. I got to look it up." And you go to your computer, and, and by the time you you get in, you're already so distracted you forgot what it is you went there for. Does that happen to anybody else? I'm like. Oh, man, what was I going to do? I feel like I'm going crazy. We get, we get, you know, tyrannized by something else, the urgent. Let me, let me read just a little bit from, from uh, Charles Humboldt. And again, go to the blog, you'll see this. A man's home is no longer his castle. It's no longer from urgent task. Because, it's no longer protection from urgent task because the telephone breaches the walls with imperious demands. The momentary appeal of these tasks seems irresistible and important, and they devour our energy. But in the light of time's perspective, their deceptive prominence fades. With a sense of loss, we recall the important task pushed aside. I don't always recall what that important task was. We realize we've become slaves to the tyranny of the urgent. The issue is not so much a shortage of time as a problem of priorities. Your greatest danger is letting the urgent things crowd out The important. Let me read that again. Your greatest danger is letting the urgent things crowd out the important. When we do that, tyranny of the urgent, in my words, is when you're working on something and you get an email, you get a phone call, you get a text that's not as important, but it screams louder and harder for my attention. And I drop whatever whatever I'm doing to stop the screaming and the hollering phone call or email or text, even though what I was working on was even more important. The urgent has tyrannized and won while your task at hand has been lost. It happens to all of us in so many different ways, doesn't it? Um, And I'll tell you this you have to pray. I mean, you really have to pray, seriously. And think, and examine, and re-examine all the things on your plate, or that's in all, all the, you know, all the balls in your life, so to speak, um, in order to be able to distinguish between the good stuff, taking out some good stuff, in order to put in more important stuff. And I will tell you, I think only the still small voice of God, an understanding of Scripture. And trusted friends can help us make those decisions in a, in a in a really beneficial way. Still, small voice of God, trusted friends, understanding of Scripture. I, I I've been through, and most of you, most of you know this. Who've been here, some of you are new and you don't know this, and that's fine. Um, I've been through a three year transition here, going from the lead pastor here for almost ten years to pastor of whatever I am now. Um, officially, we call it pastor of connections. I call it pastor of golf and fun. Um, parties. You don't have parties without inviting me, just so you know. <laughs> That's just, just part of the deal, you know, part of the deal. And if I find out about I mean, I, I, I drive down my block and so I, I, I shout, how come they didn't invite us to that party? What's going on? <laughs> well, I'm glad they didn't. And I said, well, I'm not. anyway. Um, uh, this whole transition for three years—it's taken a lot of prayer. It's taken some really good counsel, some really trusted friends, and um, and it's been really—it's been it, sure it's been challenging. It's been counterintuitive. You don't normally go to seminary or Bible college and say, "Hey, someday when I'm sixty, I want to be uh, I want to be like the pastor of Connections at a thriving New York City suburb church." You don't normally think that way. Um, but it's great. I, t- I love what I do. I really do. I love you. I love I love being here. I'm just—I love serving any way that I can serve. So, for me though, it was when I had to say no for the sake of this church and me to being lead pastor, in order to say yes to being something else that's better suited my giftedness for me and for this church. And and he had to say I had to say no to something really good. Now, thankfully, by God's grace and provision. We were able to find the right person to come in that said yes to that particular thing with Chris, and and, uh, I'm very grateful that that he did and we did. But here's the thing: it's not freaking easy. I was going to say it's not that easy. Uh, It takes a lot of wisdom, it takes a lot of strength, it takes a lot of wherewithal. um, um, And where, you know, how's that going to happen? especially in a culture of high-capacity people, that would be you and me, and we, we, we all, high-capacity people who, who go, 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 and drive hard and drive hard and look down on those who don't. And you know that's true, don't you? A friend of mine told me that recently. He said, he works in the city. He said, I love what I do, but he said, I tell you, I get tired of this culture. He was asking me if I had seen a difference, and I have. And that's okay, I embrace this culture. He said, I, I get tired of the culture that says you gotta drive, 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 and, and and go, 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 and fill up your fill up your here bowl here with everything you got and those who look down on you if you don't do that. And I said, Well, there's there's a lot of truth to that. It's funny, one day Charlene and I were talking and, and she says, this is My wife, and she says those those who don't know her, she says to me, you know, just because this culture embraces uh, your your go 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 drive And your brashness and your obnoxiousness, just because this culture embraces it doesn't mean it's okay. And you don't get a free pass. I said, darn. But it does. I mean, you can just run wild sometimes with that in our culture. One of the reasons I like it so much. Um, We have to stop and think and rethink and ask God for help. I'm going to give you three very simple things that's going to help you with this um they've helped me, and i I know I know this works, so I can speak with authority about this. Uh, the first one is others others trusted friends, trusted friends, not just friends, trusted friends, not just your spouse I, I hopefully one of your trusted friends is your spouse, but you know we need more than that because sometimes they they sometimes they love us and and, and and maybe not always can see everything from somebody else's uh, perspective because of their love for, for you and, and, and so forth. So you don't need very many people, just a few, but some trusted friends, not just your spouse, but people who are like-minded. They have the, You have the same values. They're safe. You don't have to worry about them gossiping about you. Oh, you want to know what Rich is struggling with now? Oh, no, tell me. Um, I could keep you busy for a while. Um, people who you've given permission to to speak into your life, and you into theirs. It's been fun for me. Um, oftentimes, I see this happening. We have some groups. We have got more coming. But we like we have Wednesday night, thir- Wednesday night men's group, Thursday night, which is always fun. Thursday night book group, um, co-ed book group, and Thursday morning for the women. More stuff coming. But it's been fun. It's part of my job it's, it's part of what I do. I just with, with, with my job or not. Some of the, some of the, you see some of these relationships that form out of these groups with, with two or three people that, that get together and end up getting together later for whatever reason. That's really what it's all about. And that's really important. Had a guy tell me one time, we were sitting there talking, we were downstairs talking in the fellowship hall. And um, that's the bar area. The rest part, the rest of it doesn't count. Um, and we were talking, he says, I get this. He said, I get this, pointing in hand. He said, I get this. He said, I don't get me in a group. And I said, well, let me ask you something. How did we start out together in a group? You know? And then you break off into three or four, and then two or three come out of that. That's important. You've got to have others in your life, folks. You've got to. How are you doing with that? How many people do you have in your life that can really speak into your life, other than your mate? She counts or he counts, but you need more. Because if you don't have that, you, you, you become very unself aware." And that that can be a really dangerous place to be. Others. That's the first thing. Second thing is priorities. Priorities. You have to be intentional. You have to think through and rethink through your priorities at least weekly, sometimes daily. Something happens in the middle of the day and you've got to start realigning your priorities. It happens to me all the time. But you've got to be intentional about it. Let me go through those priorities. Chris did this last week, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to do it again for three reasons. Number one, I agreed with them, and they're right, and I want you to. Number two, we need to be reminded. You know, week after week, we need to be reminded. Maybe not every week, but, but often. And number three, I, I mean, he went through these priorities, and I'm going through the same ones. I, I, I believe in the same ones that he does. I'm in a different season of life and can bring a little different perspective. He's in a different season of life. He can bring a different perspective as well. What are those priorities? Well, first, of course, is God, your relationship with God. That's the most important thing. If I have to throw out some of this stuff in order to have more of a relationship with God, I saw that. Um, if I have to throw out some of this stuff to have more of a relationship, a deeper relationship with God, i got to get rid of it. That's the most important thing. My relationship with Christ, who came and lived and suffered and died and rose again, and He did that so that I could experience His love and His grace and His forgiveness. That's the most important thing, God. Second thing is your marriage. I appreciated very much last week. how Treth said, "Not kids, just marriage," and he talked about the fact that sometimes, or that you know, sooner or later, your 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 kids are going to leave home. We've experienced that, and it's weird. And after two years of therapy and 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 working through a whole bunch of stuff, we're doing great now. <laughs> But I tell you, when, 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 and just like you, and you know this, when you're focused on your kids and all the stuff they're doing, and, and what you need to do, you have to do, and all of a sudden, boom, it's gone. Then all of a sudden you're like, oh, what are we going to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? What don't want What do you want to do? Um, gotta, you, you, you just got to develop that marriage through the seasons of life. Then then comes kids. I'm gonna tell you something about kids. They'll always be your kids. Whether they're three or thirty. The problems will change. The concerns will change. But they'll always they'll always be a thing in your life, whether you're in touch with them or not. Because all of a sudden they grow up and they go to college, they don't return your freaking phone calls, you know. I'm talking about kids more. I'm, I'm, I'm having the privileges of giving the Father's Day message, and I'll talk more about that then. But, but I mean, kids, that, 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 that is so important. We just, I can't emphasize enough. And then your work. Yeah, I, golfers will recognize this saying. There's a saying in the golf course. People say, oh, a bad day on the golf course is better than a great day at work. I don't know who said that, but he needs to get another job, you know, <laughs> because I like what I do. I really do. I love what I do, and I, I don't feel that way at all. In fact, I have had a few bad days on the golf course, and there is no place worse in the whole world. I think God gives us bad days on the golf course to show us a little bit what hell's going to be like. Because it's, a bad day on the golf course is miserable. Let me tell you, I've had a couple. I'd really be at work all the time. If you love, here's the issue with this: If you love what you do, as many of us are privileged to do, and I'm one of those people, I'm blessed. I love what I do. All of a sudden, it, all of, it, it's not so much work. It's just who you are and what you do. And, and all of a sudden, it starts taking over your life. And all of a sudden, it starts, starts creeping into your kid time. It starts creeping into your marriage time. And then and then get this, get this, get this. This is going to be weird. This is going to sound really weird coming from me. For instance, as a pastor, can my work become such a priority to me that it hurts my relationship with Christ? I know one guy that happened to And it ain't a fun place to be. That happened to me. My work in the church became my idol. you believe that? That's how twisted we can become. And your work, whether it's in church or somewhere else, can become an idol. It can just start creeping over into the kids, into the marriage, into God. Then you're in trouble priorities. Listen to this. Ephesians 5, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity. Because these days are evil. And short, I might add. Be very careful how you live. So it starts with others. Priorities. Third thing discipline. Discipline. A determination of sticking to your decisions. It's just not a matter of saying no to something. It's a matter of saying no to something good or important in order to say yes to something even more important. And we need discipline to help us do that sometimes. I'm doing a thing. You heard Charlie talk about the, the 30 days of prayer. The thirty days of prayer that we're having here, starting tomorrow. Actually, it's twenty-eight days, but for those of us who don't care about numbers, thirty is fine. And um, twenty-eight days of prayer, thirty days of prayer, um, and it's a different prayer. Just and you'll see it's on the blog. And it's it's. I have to. I'm the type. I can have the best intent in the world, but unless I do something specifically to make myself in indiscipline, think about it, I'll forget about it. So here's what I'm doing. I, I read the papers. I, think I usually take about an hour every day to read the papers, uh, between all—I mean, all the papers together. I don't read every paper, all everything, every paper, but I mean, whether it's the whether it's the journal or or or, or, or even the Times sometimes, um, or the Post, or USA Today, or um, something else or whatever. I, I just think it's important, particularly people in my in my uh, line of work, to, to know what's going on in the world. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher, used to always say. All, of, all a good preacher needs is the Bible and the newspaper. Bible and the newspaper and how they can relate to each other. So I think that's important. So I, I spend about an hour a day doing that, usually early in the morning. I'm going to take 15 minutes at least out of that day, out of that hour. Just, it'll make me think about it. Make, it make me, in, in, in 15 minutes at least out of every hour. I pray other times too. But I'm going to just take 15 minutes out of that hour for one thing, and that is just to concentrate on whatever it is that we have on our blog to pray about for that day. It's it's a discipline thing for me. It it's sort of it makes me think. It makes me go back. Okay, I'm not going to forget it that way. As, soon as I pick up the paper, whatever I read them all here. As soon as I start going to one of my papers, I'm like, well, let's spend my 15 minutes first and pray for these things. I just did a little thing, but but think about that discipline. We have to figure out ways to discipline. Look what look what um, the apostle Paul here says. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. This is going to tick some of you off right now. Watch what he says. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit. There are some of you here, and I love you, just understand that. But I know some of you here who miss a workout and you get cranky because you're so And that's great. I'm glad you're disciplined to do your workout. I need to be more. I realize that. Um, but you miss a workout and you're like, oh, man, I miss a workout. Here's my goal for you. I want to see you get that cranky and that out of sorts when you miss some time to be with God. That's far more important than your physical stature. Far more important. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, that bodily discipline doesn't help. It's only of little profit. Godliness, watch what he says, is profitable for all things since it holds promise of the present life and also for the life to come. Discipline. Others, priorities, Discipline. And may God give us the strength, the wisdom, <laughs> it takes a lot of wisdom, and the sheer determination to be able to recognize the good and the important that we should say no to, and the courage to say no to it, and to say yes to the things that are most important. May God give us that wisdom. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love and your grace in our life. I pray, Lord, that we would think through this. In some cases, pray through this. Help us to dwell on this in a way that's going to be honoring to you and to each other. We thank you for that. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who came and lived and suffered and died and rose again to give us the ability to have a relationship with you, our Lord, our God. We thank you for that. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.